My name is Peter. I'm the intern pastor here at Mountain View, and I have the privilege this morning of opening God's Word with you. I don't have fancy heart-shaped glasses, uh, and I don't see any out there either, but my prayer this morning is that all of us, as we open God's Word and listen to what God has to say, learn to see God with new eyes and learn to see the world with God's eyes as well. While we're getting set up here, if you, there are pew Bibles again, and if you're at home, hopefully you have a Bible close by. The words will also be on the screen behind me, but we're starting with John 13 today. And feel free to follow along with your, in your Bibles, but also we have that acted out in front of us this morning too. So if any of you always asked in school, is there a movie for this book? You also have the visual here as well. So in John 13, we read this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And if you turn also in your Bibles or on the screen uh, watching behind, we will be reading from Matthew 25, verse 31 next. Thank you, Go. Matthew 25 says this. This is Jesus speaking to the crowds. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And I'm not going to read word for word the rest of that passage, but Jesus goes on to say, whenever you didn't do these things, you also didn't do these things for me. And Jesus says, you missed out on a chance to do those things for me as well. And these readings, this reenactment is all the word of the Lord. And this morning, we continue our look at creating space for God. We continue our look at the spiritual disciplines that we have been doing every week through this season of Lent, this season of 40 days leading up to the memory of Jesus' death on the cross and the celebration of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And during these 40 days of Lent, we're looking at spiritual disciplines, not just more things to do, not just things to check off, not just boxes of, well, I need to do this so that God loves me. We're looking at spiritual disciplines as a way to create space for God. Not just things to do, but ways to know and ways to be known. And so two weeks ago, Pastor Eric looked at silence and solitude one of the inward disciplines. Last week, we looked at fasting and slowing, another commonly referred to as an inward discipline. And this week, we're going to look at the discipline of service and humility, one of the outward disciplines, one of the disciplines that people may or may not be able to see when we are practicing it. And I want to start out by saying serving is not something new. Serving is something that everyone knows. It's good to serve. People will say that. And serving isn't just good in Christian circles or just good for people who are following Jesus as their Lord. All over the world, we see examples of service and the need to help others. I look at the money that has been raised for humanitarian aid in Ukraine. I discover it when I'm in the Tim Hortons drive-thru and the person before me has paid for whatever I'm ordering. Service and helping others is not a new thing. And it's not exclusive to just that too. In the Old Testament and New Testament, we read over and over again that part of a Christian walk, part of following Jesus is serving. 
I don't know if you remember Isaiah 58 from last week, but in that, Pastor Eric read about fasting, and we hear that, is this not the kind of fasting I choose? To loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free, to share your food with the hungry, to provide wanderer with shelter. Service is talked about all throughout the Bible, and Jesus continues talking about service. And there are countless sermons we could preach on why it's good to serve. But today, we're not just looking at service as something we know how to do. We're looking at service specifically as a discipline in which we create space for God. And so I am not going to be ignoring all the other good things about service, but as we think about the disciplines, as we go forward in this week, I want to think about service as a chance to know and a chance to be known, space for Jesus to work in us and through us. And we're going to do that by looking at the passages that we read today, starting with John 13, where we read in verse 14, and I'll read it again, Right after Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I think first we need to, we saw it acted out a little here, but we need to appreciate this scene because washing each other's feet is not something we commonly do. I think I've only seen it done in a service or at some youth retreat somewhere. It's not a common practice for us. But in Jesus' time, it was. It was very common. It was common because as you walked through the villages at that time, you weren't wearing shoes and you weren't wearing socks. And I know a lot of the time I go into people's houses now and they say, oh, just keep your shoes on. Or I take my shoes off and my feet are still clean because I'm wearing my socks. But there, they were wearing sandals. They were walking down dusty roads. The feet that they entered a house with needed cleaning. And so it was customary, if you went to someone's house, you were invited for a dinner, that, that there would be someone at the door, often a servant, who would wash your feet as you entered the house. And so this was not any different. This was the disciples and Jesus in this last supper together, having entered a house. But the problem was there was not a servant there to wash their feet. I don't know if you remember the backstory of this, but this was a hurried, rather unscheduled meal. There wasn't, and it was done in secret, a lot of it. There wasn't chance for all this fanfare of a servant to wash feet. But you need to realize that that would have been noticed. And I'm curious what it was like as the disciples entered that door. I can picture them walking through the door and almost as a force of habit, putting their foot out ready to have it washed. And I'm curious as they noticed, oh, no one's here, what their reaction would be. And I imagine some fumbling about, maybe one of them elbowed each other and said, hey, are you going to do it? Kind of as a joke. But no one does it. And we read that however all that happened, they were in the process of eating. And so they had skipped that part. They had gone to sit down. And for us, that's just normal. But for them, it would, like I said, have been noticed. And so Jesus, in the middle of starting to eat, starting that process of eating, Jesus gets up. And I wonder if Jesus had waited a little to see if anyone else would do it. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I'm curious. But Jesus at that point says, 
I am going to use this to show you what you should do. And Jesus gets up, and like we read, Jesus starts to wash their feet. And I think it's important to note a couple things about this as we see it. First, it's very clear in this passage that Jesus knew his place. Jesus knew his authority. He knew who he was and whose he was. And the disciples knew it too. This was not Jesus' job. Jesus could have looked at any of them as their leader and said, hey, can you do this for us? It needs to be done. And Jesus didn't choose to do it. Jesus said, I will do this for you. This was a voluntary humiliation, a voluntary service, taking the job that none of them had chosen to do and saying, I will do it. Jesus knew what he was doing. And Jesus also was very aware of who was present. Yes, this was people he had walked down the road with, but this was someone who was going to betray him several hours later. These were people who Jesus knew were going to deny him, were going to run away, were going to desert him. And Jesus said, still for you, I am going to do this. And what's really ironic is in Luke, so we didn't read that today, in Luke, at this very same dinner, the disciples got in an argument about who was the greatest among them. And I kind of laugh about that a little. I wonder if Jesus did this before or after that argument. Again, we don't know. But Jesus said, you are talking about who is the greatest, and I'm going to show you what really matters in my kingdom. Jesus knew who he was, he knew who was present, and he chose to wash their feet. He said, this example that I am doing, you should also do. And I said we weren't going to just talk about why it's good to do service for others, and I'm sure the disciples were happy in the end to have clean feet and things were like normal again. But it said that we would talk about this as a way to create space for God. And when I read this, I see Jesus' disciples, and I see Jesus saying, I have set an example for you. You should do as I have done. We call our, keeping that in mind, we call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus. Christian meaning, so you have Christ, which means anointed one, and I'm not going to do the Greek because that's hard. Um, but the end, so we have Christ, and then I'll just say it in English, the chin or the tien at the end that makes it Christian, which means little anointed ones. And I say this because Jesus says, I have set an example. You go do likewise. You are my followers. You represent me. You are the little Christs. And I'm not saying we're all gods. I'm not saying we're all Jesus. But I'm saying in the name Christian, we are to be little Christ's little anointed ones in the world. And if we are going to follow the example of Jesus, we are creating space for Jesus to be present in us and through us, the hands and feet of God. And that is one way that Jesus' presence, creating space for God, happens in these acts of service that Jesus says, I have done this, you do it, because you are my representatives. And if you need an example of this, I can look as far as my own family. I am the son of Henry Cranenberg. And while I have the same last name, I also have watched my dad enough growing up, I've listened to him enough growing up, that I start to say some of the things he says, I have some of the same humor that he does, and if I enter a room of people who have known my dad 10 years ago and haven't seen him, 
I can say certain things and they'll say, hey, you sound just like your dad, or you remind me of your dad, or that makes me think of Henry. And my dad could be far away, but my dad's presence, in a sense, is in that space because I have brought it there as someone who has learned from him. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. In serving others as I have served you, you are bringing my presence into this space. Of course, Jesus' presence is already in that space, but we're highlighting it within that. But it goes further than just this. These acts of service, yes, are ourselves bringing Jesus' presence into a space, but it's deeper even. And there's something interesting about what Jesus says in Matthew 25 as we read it, about his presence on the other side of our actions as well. There's a lot that we could say about Matthew 25. It's something that I have enjoyed preaching on in the past, and we're not going to get into all the ins and outs, but verse 40 says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So doing these acts of service as Christians, as little anointed ones, yes, we're displaying the presence of Jesus but we're also somehow in serving others, entering into the presence of Jesus. We're entering into a space where God says, what you are doing for others, you're doing for me. I'm there receiving this as well. And I don't know exactly how that works, but Jesus says, in doing acts of service, I am there and I am being served. I put the title here, Jesus on a Bench. I don't know if any of you have seen it or read about it, um, but downtown Hamilton, and I'm told other cities in the world also, there is a park bench that I drive by most days. And on that park bench is a sculpture. A sculpture from a distance that looks like a homeless person curled up on the bench. A sculpture that looks realistic enough that several times in the first year it was there, people called 911 because there was someone sleeping on a bench in the winter and they wanted to help. But when you get closer to this bench, you see that it's a sculpture, and you get closer still, and you see the form curled up, and you see the, the holes, the nail holes in the hand, and you see the nail holes in the feet. And you realize this is a sculpture of Jesus. And this is a sculpture, I think, that fits well or is at least based on Matthew 25. When you are serving others, when you are doing these things for others, Jesus says, you are doing them for me. I am present in those places. And so we talk about acts of service. We talk about the discipline of service. We talk about creating space for God. And God says, when you do these things, I am there. And when you do not do these things, you have missed out on a chance to be present with me. And Jesus says, I have given you this example. Go and do this for others. We have the greatest commandment. We've heard it a lot of times over the last year that I've been here in this church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. As Pastor Eric and I have talked about this, he always mentions that he thinks, and I would agree, that this is just part of one commandment. It's not a separate. Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, it's these ones, or this one. 
And I think there's a both and in that. And I think when I read Matthew 25 and think about service, loving God is loving my neighbor, and loving my neighbor is loving God. Do you see that there? That presence, that interaction, that intertwining of two different loves that cannot be taken apart. And I think there's another side to service as well. We all have heard probably the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I know whenever I heard that rule, the focus was do unto others. It was always said at a time of, Peter, you should be doing this because you might like if that's done for you sometime. And so if we can go to the next slide, we see there's a question in this, though. There's a flip around of the golden rule. If I'm going to do this for others as they would do that for me, I have to let people do things for me as well. And the question here is, is it just about serving or is it also about being served? And I think there's an important distinction there. I think it's important to note that the golden rule, yes, is do unto others, but there's that other part of it too. And if you look back at John 13, and maybe you noticed as I was reading it, Peter has two very harsh responses for Jesus. And so on the next slide, we'll see these quotes from Peter. First, as Jesus went to wash his feet, Peter, I can say, I I could picture him taking a step back or scooting back on his chair saying, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And then a couple verses later, he says forcefully, no, you shall never wash my feet. I think this gets a bit at the discipline of service as well. Peter, I think, is partly concerned for Jesus and Jesus' pride. This is my master. This is my teacher. He shouldn't be doing this for me. Now I I, I don't know what to do. This this isn't normal. Jesus, are you really going to do this? And I think part of what Peter felt also was probably a little bit of embarrassment, of a, oh man, maybe I should have thought to do that. Now my master, my teacher, my leader is doing this? Well, I feel a little ashamed now. And so Peter says, I don't want you to do this for me. And when I look at the people here, when I look at my own life, when I look at Mountain View and Grimsby and Canada, I wonder if this might be an area that we need to focus on a little. Not all of us. We're all in different situations. There's the acts of service that we can do, but I think there's the acts of service as a discipline that we need to learn to accept as well. Because I wonder how many of us can be like Peter saying to Jesus, no, don't do this for me. No, I can figure it out. I can do it on my own. I have two hands and a towel also. And I think about here. We have no issues as a church when it comes to serving a lot of the time. I've been in the gym sorting food at food drives. I've seen the amount that we give to Christian education. I know the people who are volunteering at GBF and doing that. I know the pride, a healthy pride, that is here in this place because we have this building, because we have this space, because we have a healthy and active congregation. And those are things to be thankful for. We can be good at serving. 
But when we think of a discipline that creates space for God, I think it's equally important that we leave space to also be served. And I think that can be harder sometimes. I think it can be harder with all we have and with all we want to do to allow ourselves to take a step back. I don't know if you remember three weeks ago when we did the intro, we talked about things that have been hidden from the wise and told to little children. Sorry, told to little children. And I think some of that is learning to be dependent, learning to take that step back. And I thought about this in my own life. I, outside of here, I lead humanitarian aid builds and mission trips to other countries. And I remember how awkward it has felt working alongside a family who has nothing, finishing a house with them, and then being invited as a group to have a dinner with them that they just spent way too much money, in my eyes, to serve us. And that's been awkward because I want to make the choice to serve and it's hard to accept that. I didn't ask my mom for permission, but I think she'd be okay with this. Um, I see that at play in my own house, and I use my mom as an example. I'm sure it happens in a lot of places. When it comes to serving and making a meal, my mom would be on it. She would be so happy to be able to prepare something to give to someone else. But if someone else walked into my mom's kitchen and said, Marnie, you go have a seat in the living room. I'll find all the pans. I'll find all the stuff. I'll go through the fridge and find what I want. I want to make food for you. I think that would be a lot harder for my mom. I think that would be a lot harder for many of us. I look at the foot washing here, and I would much rather wash someone's feet than to have my own washed. Ruth Ann and I were talking about potentially myself being the one who had my feet washed, and I was like, if that happens, I need to make sure I have a pedicure or something first, and all of these things, because there's a shame in being served, especially when it's something that you yourself can do. And I think we need to see this, not just as a, it's good to be served, but again, going back to the question of how is this creating space for God? And I think in that, we have to see that if I never allow others to serve me, why would I think I need to walk with God on things? Why would I need God to do things for me? If I have built a life of being self-dependent and sure of all the things I can do, how do I learn to let God do with me and God do for me in some places? And so this, this discipline of service is also about creating space to be served because we need to learn how to let Jesus work with us as well. So these last couple slides I'm stealing from Pastor Eric, the question, so how does this work? And I'm not going to go through all of these things, but service is not just a list of things to do. It's a way of life. And so if you look at some of these things, listening, being served, bearing burdens, hospitality, small things, it's not just a, I'm going to go on a 10-day mission trip somewhere and that's my act of service. It's a these things build throughout your life. And you'll, I don't know if some of you have these or not, they're on your left as you walk out, but these are the bingo cards. And some of these things are just the small things of life. And I think for some of you looking at the being served part, you might have to change some of these around. Right in the middle is praying for a neighbor. Maybe some of us 
in the discipline of service need to reach out and say, I need prayer. Can you pray for me? Folding a load of laundry, that's great for some of us because we might not do that otherwise. But if you're the one who usually folds the laundry and there's a certain way to do it, maybe being served means this week my clothes aren't folded just the way I like it, but I've created space to allow others to serve me. The same can go with cooking dinner. The same can go with phoning someone. Maybe you need a phone call and you just need to reach out to someone too. The discipline of service goes both ways. How do you create space for God in it? One of the ways is hiddenness. We talked about that a bit last week with fasting. Service should be and can be done in such a way that people don't notice. In fasting, Pastor Eric read um, about still putting oil on your head, washing your hair, making sure you look healthy so people don't know you're fasting. Service can be done in the same way. And so as you fill out this bingo card, I encourage you not to tell people about it during the week, but maybe a week or two after this, letting people know I was able to do some of these things and people didn't even realize I did. Because Jesus says service is not just the big act, it's the small things. And I like verse 7 in John 13 where we read, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. So how does this work? This works by doing some things that maybe we don't understand in the moment, maybe we get no credit for, maybe people don't even realize. But Jesus says, in these acts of service, I am there. How does this work? It works in humility, and humility times two. Humility in some of the acts of service you might do, and humility in being able to receive those acts of service as well. And then Foster, whose book Pastor Eric and I have both talked about, whose stuff I used a lot for this sermon, talks about true service and self-righteous service. And I didn't put it all up there, but I want to name some of those things. He says, self-righteous service comes out of a human effort. True service listens for the divine urging, the prompts of God of this is somewhere to serve. Self-righteous service is about the big deal. True service is the small things. Self-righteous service is about delighting, or is about the results. What happened? How did they improve? What did this person get? True service is just delighting in service itself. Self-righteous picks and chooses. I think I'm good at that. I think I'm good at saying, hey, here's a way to serve. I really like this. I can do that at my own work, and hopefully no one's watching from there. I can say, oh, there's two things that just happened. I'll go serve over here because I really don't feel like mopping up someone's bathroom. But true service, Foster says, and I think Jesus would say, doesn't pick and choose, it serves where needed. True service does it because there's a need. Self-righteous service says, today I feel like serving, or today I'm just not in the mood. And lastly, true service listens before acting. Self-righteous service can insist on meeting needs regardless. Sometimes service is waiting, is stepping back and hearing what people really need. And we'll end with this last slide, what to expect. One thing to expect if you are doing service, if you are starting to live a life of service, it will be uncomfortable. It will be uncomfortable because you're gonna start thinking, do I do this because I really want to do this service? Because some service is a lot of fun. 
Or is there a need that I am called to meet, a way to be Jesus, a way to enter into presence that maybe I don't love? Maybe it will be uncomfortable. Maybe it's out of my comfort zone, but I will step into that. There's a thing about being walked on. Some people don't want to live this life of service because people can start to step all over them and ask for more and more and more. And I loved reading in Foster this week that he says, if you choose a life of service, if you choose to be a servant, you cannot be walked on because you made the choice to live that lifestyle. And I love that thought. If I just want to do acts of service here or there, of course I'm going to be worried that people are going to take advantage of me. But if I lay out my life as a life of service, I can't be taken advantage of because that is who I am and who I have become. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, as I have done, you need to do as well. And as we create space for God, we see the interdependency. Acts of service, we need God. Acts of service, we also need each other. Acts of service, we do along with God and each other and acts of service we receive from God. So Jesus says, be ready to do both. And in the end, in another discipline, as we think about connecting and creating space with God, acts of service are a way to do that, to bring God to places or to reveal God working in places and to also have God revealed to us in those places. Foster ends his discussion on service with a simple prayer. And the simple prayer Foster writes is, Lord Jesus, as it would please you, bring me someone today whom I can serve. And I would add, or who can serve me. And as we think about service, as we think about it, not just as a good thing to do, but as a space for God to work and a space for God to be seen, join me in saying this prayer, in praying to God that we can find those acts of service. And so you can join me in saying this, and I will pray after that. So, Lord Jesus, as it would please you, bring me someone today whom I can serve. And Lord, as we pray that prayer, I pray that you bring us people who we can serve. But I pray for a lot of us that you can bring us people and ways that we can be served too. Allow us, or help us allow you to wash our feet as we also wash the feet of others. And Lord, as we connect with others in ways of service, when it's uncomfortable, when it's humbling, when we feel taken advantage of, please help us to remember as little anointed ones, little Christians, that we are called to do this because of who you are and whose we are. And Lord, I pray that as we do acts of service and as we receive them, you are shown in those and that we hear those divine urgings, those little whispers, those promptings of your spirit moving in us. Lord, as we take on disciplines, please continue to be present with us. In your name we pray, amen.